Welcome to The Ladder, a podcast series for aspiring turf managers currently climbing the career ladder, and also for those already at the top who would like to better understand their Generation Y staff members. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of The Ladder, brought to you by Steck Equipment. I am your host today, John Reitman, and our guest is Sean Rehorn of Aldera Golf Club in Sammamish, Washington. Sean, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this opportunity and uh, see what I can share with people. So the first time you and I met, we were at an industry event in North Carolina, and uh, as I started to put two and two together, I said to myself, oh, you're that guy. And for the benefit of our listeners, you ascended to the role of head superintendent at Aldera and a rather due to a rather unique situation maybe explain to our listeners a little bit about your experience and how you got to be where you are today yeah so I came to Aldera as the assistant in uh, February of 2007 and in October of 2014 it was actually probably here within the next week or so uh, we usually have a member tournament that I play in with a Ryder Cup style uh, and I got asked one year to play. And so in 2014, my boss always played too. My boss's name at the time was Paul Colloran, and I was the assistant. And Paul ended up getting really sick the Friday before, and, you know, things had kind of not been normal and something. And uh, well, it ended up he had brain cancer. Uh, and so that was a shock to everybody. And everybody that worked here, everybody who was a member, everybody who knew him, like we just, you know, those aren't the things you expect people to just kind of have. And so... Paul ended up having surgery and things were kind of going well. Uh, at least we thought they were going well. And and then uh, in October of 2015, Paul passed away. So it was, it was really less than a year. Um, and it was tough every day to go to work and see that. Uh, but, you know, I uh, the thing that was important to me was to do the right thing. And uh, they opened the job nationally to a search and they interviewed me and some other people and they selected me to fill Paul's role and be the superintendent. Uh, it was never how I would ever thought I would get my job or opportunity to be a superintendent, uh, but to some great mentoring and, ca- and counseling from people, if you will, you know, like, hey, those things are not your problem and they're not your, you didn't do it. Um, and so you just need to be prepared for the opportunity. And, you know, I took that to heart and uh, spent as much time as I could preparing for an interview with a lot of people's help and uh luckily you know they chose me to fill a big role um it was a tough thing to come to work you know i would go home and cry sometimes at night uh just because it was so hard and you know you kind of question are you doing the right thing are you are you being a good enough person if you will and uh so that's how i ended up getting my first job and uh you know i i I can say that I I felt I can look back on that year as the hardest year of my career, but I can also look back on it and say that I did everything I could to help Paul uh, and make sure that the crew was okay and everything else was good and, and, and live with it. It's still hard for me to even talk about, you know, like I don't touch to those emotions a lot, but they, when they, when I do go to that point, it's still really hard. Given the fact that the club conducted a national search, 
what were the skills that you thought you brought to the table that allowed you to rise above everyone else who was part of that search? And how much of that was it you could attribute to your work under Paul? You know, working under Paul was a huge part of uh, my growth and success. And there goes my alarm. Working under Paul was huge to my success and growth. And, you know, I think looking back, uh, you know, Paul and I butted heads at times. But I don't think any assistant and superintendent don't butt heads, don't butt heads that it's just you just don't get along every day. And you kind of have to be okay with that and realize that that's those times where you don't get along is where you're probably going to grow more than when you get along. Um, and I had worked in New Jersey. I had worked in the mountains in Idaho. And I had fortunate to have some really good superintendents who are still friends of mine as bosses and uh, mentors and, you know, and tried to use all of the resources I could as I grew uh, in my career to be where I wanted to be. And I was probably also fortunate that I knew what I wanted to do early on um, and where I wanted to end up and how I, you know, what golf course, I didn't know what golf course was going to fit for me, but I knew that like hosting a major wasn't what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I wanted to find something that were to balance family and life and all of those things together. Uh, so the two things I really drew on was the people I had worked for and the experience I had, and then also the fact that the institutional knowledge of being here, I knew people, I had relationships, and that I could be the person that would have the most seamless transition for the staff and everybody to move the golf course forward. Now, you were a Michigan State guy, is that correct? Correct. Tell us how you got to Washington. You kind of knew where you wanted to be, and you knew the kind of club you wanted to be at. So I grew up in Washington. I'm from here originally. I'm from halfway basically between the Seattle and the Canadian border, a town called Burlington. Uh, and I worked for a guy in high school. Uh, his name is Rick Mooney. That was a Michigan State guy. And he got the superintendent job. I was a I think I was a sophomore in high school when he got the job. And our first couple months didn't go very well. He... Uh, there's a kind of a story we tell my brother and I worked on the golf course and Rick wanted to start at a certain hour and we said no. And he said, okay, we'll compromise in the middle. And so Rick kind of took a liking to my brother and I and kind of took us under his wing. And, um, my brother's in the golf business on the coaching side and I got into the agronomy side and I went to Washington state for two years. And Rick said, we had a conversation about like, I'm like, you know, I think I kind of want to become a superintendent. I think this would be kind of a fun job to stick through this. And he goes, if you really want to have some career success and I wasn't happy with how my path was going at the time. He goes, you should apply to Michigan state and go and see if you get in and go. And so I applied, got in and went. Uh, and then I interned in New Jersey under Tom Ashfield at Canoebrook. And then I went back to school, interned for Rick in Idaho. And when I graduated college, I didn't want to move home. All my friends were moving home and I was just like, you know what? I'm not ready yet. So I moved to New Jersey to be close to the city and, uh, back to Canoebrook and, just to gain some different experience that I felt when I was ready to move back to Washington would give me a competitive advantage that I had East Coast experience, that I had seen different things, that I had and always just kind of taken the same path as everybody else. That was, and then the job at Aldera as the assistant came open uh, when some change was occurring at Canoebrook, and I got the job as the assistant and. Uh, Things on the West Coast are a lot different than they are on the East Coast. Superintendent promotion is a little slower because there's uh, less turnover and less golf and things, you know. And uh, 
ended up getting my job the way I did. And I just, and the economy struggled in those times too. And so it was just about being patient. You know, my, I had thought about getting out of the business before just because things were going so slow, but she was my girlfriend's my wife. Now at the time she said to me, she's like, are you really going to enjoy sitting behind a desk every day? And that was a big question. And I knew I probably wasn't because I loved going to the golf course every day and going to work and being outside and getting that fix, if you will, was going to be important to my happiness too. Paul was a finalist for the TurfNet Superintendent of the Year Award after he had passed away. And we learned through the process then of what a special place he thought his golf club was and that he really treated it like it was something special. Can you speak about his philosophy about how special the golf course was and how he treated it and how did he impart that on you and the rest of the team and how did that make an impact on you throughout the rest of your career? So Paul was hired to build a golf course. He was the first, you know, superintendent basically from day one, Uh, even like really early before any golf construction started, he was here. And, uh, Paul had built, he built Poppy Hills as well in California. He worked at another club here in Washington. And Paul was a golf guy. He grew up around golf. He played competitive golf. He, he probably loved golf more than he loved agronomy. And that part always stood out to me that I, and I was fortunate and I've had been fortunate to work for people who always have enjoyed playing golf. And the agronomy part of it was fun for Paul and he loved that part of it. But playing golf was even better. Uh, and I think that's probably where I think Paul thinks the place is so special is that we're only a golf course. We don't have a swimming pool. We don't have tennis courts. We just have 400 individual members. We don't, you know, it's not family membership. You know, your wife can play. Women can be members as well. There's none of that. Um, but enjoying the golf course and not having any houses on the golf course, all of those things made it special. And Paul had a really good way of sharing that with people. And he shared that a lot with me. We played golf together. We went on trips and did other things. And, you know, but I also think the thing that, you know, Paul was, when Paul was here was about work and we did our job and we got it done. But also I think the thing that I took away from Paul too was when work is done, it's time to go home and you have other habits or other hobbies that you're, you enjoy and you have to find balance or find enjoyment in doing those things. It can't always just be about work. Um, but when you're here, it's special and you better enjoy it. And I've tried to make my goal every day to my staff and myself, uh, that, you know, we provide the best golf course we can every day. And some days it's better than others. And some days it's just not that good because mother nature blew 35 miles an hour last night and we're spending all day cleaning the golf course up. But, we're still trying to provide the best golf course we can. And, you know, we're here, we get our job done. And then when it's done, it's also time to go enjoy time with your family and your friends and whatever other hobby you may have. But when it's here, it's special. Now you hear a lot about superintendents and you mentioned this, how, how the, the atmosphere out there is different than it is on the East coast. And you hear these stories about guys who 
went their whole career, go back to the golf course in February or March for their 100-hour weeks, and they're doing that until October and November. Guys who go their whole career and miss their kids growing up. And family vacations, if you get to take any at all, you have to take them over Christmas break or something. When did you realize that, yes, I want to be a superintendent, but no, I don't want that kind of a schedule? Having the work-life balance of which you spoke was more important. My dad drove truck when I was a kid, uh, and he still does. And My dad works as hard as anybody I've ever met. But my dad was gone a lot. And as I thought about getting married or having kids even before I was married, and you know, you, you, you think about those things, that decision comes to your mind. You know, I just knew that being home was going to be important to me because I didn't want to be gone on the road. Or, and you know, it's tough. The that that hundred hour work week. You know, you actually sit down and do the math of a hundred hours. I don't know how you eat and sleep at the same time um, because a hundred hours in a week is a lot. Um, but I think it's a changing a little bit because we're trying to find, and I don't like. I'm not big on the term balance because I think that's a state we don't ever achieve. Um, but we're realizing that, hey, we need to empower the people who work for us and trust them. And superintendents, we kind of get in this mode, I think, and I do it myself. Where we're like, the only person who can do it the way it needs to be done is myself. And it's really hard for us to be successful with that mentality. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that do jobs that are harder than ours and they find a way to achieve balance. But I also get that the thing they work on is in the living, breathing, moving organism. And so there's a tough balance there. But I think a lot of it is knowing that, Hey, what you're trying to get done today can be done tomorrow too. We're going to take a quick break for a brief message from our sponsor. With a commitment to quality and a passion for sourcing the latest innovations from Europe and North America, Steck Equipment has grown to be the go-to supplier for specialized turf equipment. Check out their line of phrase mowers, material handlers, laser graders, vacuum sweepers, blowers, verticutters, and seeders, decompactors, sand fillers, and much more at steckequipment.com. That's S-T-E-C equipment.com. We're back on the ladder with Sean Rehorn of Aldera Golf Club in Sammamish, Washington. Give me a list of some things that you encounter on the job that Michigan State did not prepare you for. People management is the biggest one. Uh, you know, I remember when I was in college, um, there was two. One of them had just got their Ph.D. and another one was working towards it, uh, John, Dr. John Sorokin and Dr. Brandon Horvath. And I don't remember who was trying to get their dissertation and get it done. And one, they told me one time that, remember, when it comes to agronomy, you're the smartest person on property. And so the agronomy side of it's easy for us. And you take a lot of classes on agronomy, and it's easy because nobody that comes on the property, member, other employee, you know, other than my, some of my staff members' assistants, like, have an equal understanding of agronomy that I do. And so that part of it's easy for us. We can talk there. We can stay in that science. We can talk about it till the cows come home. But people management and budgeting and stuff, you just, I don't even think you can really learn it in the classroom. You know, you have to learn it on the fly, and sometimes that's really hard. 
and the I think one of the I think one of the hardest things for my job is that I joke that I'm often my own secretary. Not only do I have a golf course that I have to take care of and a crew that has to do those things, there's all of the administrative stuff that I'm not an expert at that makes my job hard. That's if I if all I had to do was grow 18 holes of grass, I think my stress level would be far less. But because of all the other things that you add in, that's what makes the job hard. And you can't learn those things in school or they don't offer the opportunity to learn them. What advice would you give to either people who are still in school or recently out of school as far as gaining the necessary hands-on experience to expedite the time in which you spend sort of growing your career? Somebody on Twitter the other day had posted about an internship opportunity and and the and the point the guy was trying to make, and I can't remember who said it, the point he was trying to make is like, hey, don't go be one of 12 interns at, say, like next year for the U.S. Open. And I'm not telling people not to go work at Pebble Beach because it would be a great opportunity. But don't go be one of 12 interns because you're probably not going to learn very much because you're in a classroom and you're one of 12 and and you're just not going to find your way to doing very many things um, when I went and did my internship at Canoebrook, an assistant had just left. It's a 36-hole facility. They normally carry four assistants. They only had three, and they couldn't really find anybody to hire at the time. So I became an intern, and I was basically more of a, you know, we created this term AIT, but I was like an assistant in training. Like I was I was doing what assistants were doing. I was spraying all the time. I was hand-watering greens. I was sitting in meetings with the other assistants. Like, I just wasn't somebody – I wasn't a fly on the wall listening to what was going on. I was part of the wheel. I was part of the operation. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it was like sink or swim type mentality. Like, can you make it or not? And I made it uh, with a lot of help from people who were there. And and uh, it worked out like it was like, okay, hey, this is the pace that I need to work at to make – the world go to make my world go and i would say if you're a kid sitting in a college classroom and you're looking for an internship vet the superintendent a little bit like have your the former boss somehow you got into the golf business by somebody find somebody who you know is a good teacher um you know you look at if you look at it like in the medical field and you go on your apprenticeship and you in your uh, i'm trying to think of the word but there's really good teaching doctors out there, and they work at places that are good at teaching students. And then there's some doctors who are not. And I think you need to find a superintendent who's good at teaching and is going to allow you to room to make an error because that's when you learn. Boy, you go to a place that's hosting a major, there's no room to make an error because it's not about your education opportunity. It's about what the golf course is going to look like on TV for a week. But if you go someplace where you can make some errors and maybe you can grow a nursery and or you could build a couple tea boxes, you know, and kind of get some real life experience, that's going to pay off, in my opinion, for you way more than putting on that I volunteered at the 2021 whatever event. That's the way I see the world, and that's what I think. But there's a there's a glitz and glamour to putting that major on your resume, which there's nothing wrong with it. But I think you can do it later. Several months ago, I was visiting visiting a superintendent, and he was lamenting the fact that he's not able to find an intern. 
and you know, he can't get one, but the place that always that is on the major circuit is is turning them away because they get so many, and everybody and it's only a couple of miles away by car, and everybody wants to work at that, and nobody wants to work at his place because it doesn't have, like you say, it doesn't have the the glitter and the glitz that working a major does, and you know here's a guy who has an opportunity for someone to come in and really get their hands dirty. He has housing available, yet he, he said he's never even, in five years, he's never even had anybody apply for it. Yeah, I, you know, when I chose to be an intern at Canoebrook, there was a kid that was a, a he's in the still in the turf is now, Matt Anderson. He interned at Canoebrook the summer before I did. And Tom was a the superintendent there was a Michigan State guy, so we had a pipeline of Michigan State kids every year that would go be an intern. And Matt interned, and I got to know Matt, and he said, hey, if you're looking for a good internship, you should do this. And this is what I got to learn, and these are the things that I did. And I trusted what he was telling me. Whether And it worked out, and luckily I trusted him, and it was a good decision for me. Um, you know, they had, housing, they had a housing opportunity. That was the only way I could probably save money that I needed to for an internship. And on the East Coast, there's a lot of those. And I would say that all the kids that, and then I, then I took my internship and turned it around to somebody else the next year and said, hey, you know, if you're interested, you should go do this. And uh, we just kind of did it that way. I think also talking to the kids that are in your school, like, hey, where did you intern? What did you learn? And really being open that, you know, it's great to probably go and to volunteer at a major because you meet a lot of people and you learn a lot of stuff. But I think it's fun probably for the week. I don't know if it's fun for the whole summer because, like I said, you're just trying to get the golf course. And I'm not trying to diminish those opportunities because, if hey, if that's what you think your goal is going to be and that's where you want to end up, then go do that. But if your ultimate career goal, and you might know this, is to be lower down the – not in the limelight in that sense, then go fill those. You know, there's an opportunity right now uh, as an internship that's open – you know, you could go work at Sand Hills and Valley Neal. You split your time. Like, if you're a turf student and you're not applying for that opportunity, you're, I don't know what you're doing. You know, uh, Jared and Kyle are great guys. And you're going to get to work at two of the most unique properties. Hey, yeah, you're not living next to New York City. That was part also of my journey of going to New Jersey that I wanted to do that and see those things. But I can guarantee you that Kyle and Jared are going to give you an opportunity to learn a lot and fail a lot. And that's okay. Uh, and I think that there's opportunities out there. You know, it's unfortunate the guy that you're talking about, he has housing and can't get an intern. That just blows my mind. But I also understand that we have a struggle of finding people to fill roles, uh, and I think it's our job as superintendents to get a little bit more resourceful in where we find people from. Uh, we're resourceful in everything else. I think we need to be resourceful in finding students and kids and people to work for us, too. And I think we just kind of say, oh, nobody wants to work hard. Well, yeah, maybe, but, you know, we got a really unique opportunity to pair working outdoors with technology right now, and we need to use that to our advantage. So throughout your career, you've worked in a lot of different geographic regions. How did that exposure help on your progression toward becoming a head superintendent? I just think I have a lot of experience in different places. You know, it, it, one of my friends always says, you know, if you don't change the way you look, nothing ever changes. 
if you don't change the way you look at things, nothing ever changes. And by having different opportunities in different places, like I've changed the way I look at things. And so it gives me a little bit more pause to, is that really what's going on or what, how, what's the solution here? And it's also helped me now because my network of people that I, you know, call friends and colleagues stretches a broad area. And that's, it's, that's, I'm fortunate for that. And I've got the opportunity to meet a lot of people and volunteer some GCSAA stuff and be involved there. And it's been great. And so having those people who work in different places, you just learn about more, just learn more things and you learn more knowledge and you can share things with people and, and get back more input. I think, you know, one of the greatest things about our industry is our connection and um, involvement with each other. And I, I'm big on that. I, you know, it's fun to go different places and talk to people and go to the GIS and, you know, trade stories about what it is. And, but then also, you know, let's just go have fun too. I want to revisit the transition period for you from assistant to head superintendent. How can people be ready to seize that opportunity? Because you never know when it's going to be available to you. You have to mock interview. I think that's a big one, and you got to have them be real. When, you know, there were some members in from Aldera when the job was opening. I, I was kind of both my oars weren't in the water, and I was like, I'm spinning in circles. Like, what am I going to do here? And I reached out to a, a member, and I said, Hey, you know, is there a way we could get some people together to help me interview for this opportunity? And he said, Yeah. He said, Meet at my house two nights from now or whatever. And I show up, and there's six guys sitting there, and they all got questions, and they're ready to go. And I'm sitting behind a table, and you know, and there, and I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they were dead serious and there was no joking around and this is the way it's going to go. And they asked me 15 or 20 questions and then they all gave their input on after the fact of, Hey, no, you should answer this question this way. And these, you should avoid this and you should stay on these things. And we did that twice. And so I was prepared to go when I was time to interview for the job. I was prepared and that made a huge difference. I think also realizing that you're never going to be ready for that opportunity and that's okay is also important that, you know, um, I also, the other one is when Paul, there was a job that had opened before a couple years before Paul passed. And I said to him one day, I'm like, I'm thinking about applying. He's like, you probably shouldn't apply then. And I'm like, and I kind of stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't ever want you to kind of say to me that I'm thinking about applying. You either need to be applying or not. If you're into it, be all into it and commit everything you have and feel that when you're done with the interview, you did everything you could to get the job. Even if you don't get the job, you need to be, hey, you know what? I put my best foot forward, not I put 50% forward. I put 60% forward. So if you're applying for a job and you're like, I don't really know, it's probably not for you. Earlier you spoke about working for superintendents who gave you an opportunity to fail. How important is that to learn from your mistakes and have the opportunity to own them and fix them? I think the key there is what you said is to own your mistake. Like you have to say, hey, I, I, I didn't do that right. Uh, you know, people like honesty. And if you're honest, you know, it's much easier for somebody to be willing to teach you. If you're skirting around the issue, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, you know, it's just like when you get in trouble with your parents. If you just own up to your parents, hey, yeah, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. 
they're a lot more forgiving than if you kind of lead them down a stray path of lies and then divert to the truth at somewhere at the end. Uh, and I think there's just an opportunity that to learn from your mistakes. I think it's the easiest way to learn in life, but you have to be open to the idea that you can learn from your mistakes. If your mistake is somebody else's fault, you're never going to learn from it. Well, Sean, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, hopefully, you know, people can uh, learn something from this interview and this oper- this podcast. And, you know, I enjoy sharing these things and, and helping people in any way I can. You have been listening to The Ladder on TurfNet Radio. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher for instant access to past and future episodes of The Ladder and other TurfNet Radio podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.